Well, this morning, I want to share with you all a little bit about my experience growing up. And we could be here all day talking about that, but I, I want to share a specific experience, and that's the music that my parents played. I'm sure some of us, we could take a moment, close our eyes, and think about that time we were sitting in the kitchen, and our mom was making dinner, or our dad was out in the workshop working on something, and it wasn't quiet, there was music. And growing up, I remember my dad listened to a lot of different music. My mom listened to a lot of country, and I'll admit, not a lot of that stuck. But my dad listened to a lot of different music, and one of the artists and this might split the room a little bit, uh, was Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan will always be one of my favorites. Pastor Scott and I love, one of us will have him playing in our, our, our offices, and the other will start singing along. But one of my favorite songs that he wrote is a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. And if you're not familiar with it, it's the song that he wrote during the season where he started to write Christian music. And he wrote this song, and the, the chorus lyrics are, and I'm not going to mimic Bob Dylan because that could be really bad. Uh, but he would sing, it might be the devil and it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And he wrote that back in 1979, and that's still true today in 2023. We, we, we got to serve somebody or something. We give our focus to someone or something. Some could say that's worship. We give our worship to something. And we were made this way. God made us to be worshipers. We can look at our friends, our family, look at ourselves, and we see we are people who worship. I can attest to standing over there and not singing and hearing you all worship today. It was beautiful to hear our church family worship. But there are other kinds of worship. It might be, say, next Sunday, most of us will be plopped down on the couch eyes glued to the television. For me, it's the commercials. For you, it might be the game, but we're going to be watching that game with holy devotion. We're going to be focused on who's going to win the big game. Some of us might be on our cell phones because we could care less about the game, but we're just scrolling through and we're seeing the things and the people that we follow. It could be musical artists, movie stars, or the dreaded influencers, the things that we spend our time focusing on and I'll admit, if you were to look at my YouTube viewing history, and Christine can attest to this, if you were to look at my YouTube viewing history, it's all cooking videos. I'll admit that today, it is all cooking videos. I love watching YouTube chefs make crazy dishes. That's, I love doing that. And these aren't bad things. We can look at them and say, oh, that's, not, that's not so bad that I want to learn how to make tiramisu. That would be a good thing. But if we spend more and more time focused on these things, does it become worship? Can it start to look like we're worshiping these things? And that's, today, that's what we're going to spend some time focusing on is, is what does God's word say about how we're supposed to be worshiping him? Because if we were to look at our hearts right now, and we were to look at the worship meter, how high would it read? Would it be off the charts on worshiping things of this world? Or would it be off the charts on the God side? I think we'd all like to admit it's the God side, but maybe it's, maybe it's towards the middle. But today we're going to spend a few moments in, in God's word, and, and we're going to see that God is a God of action. And because of what he did, he is truly the only one worthy of worship. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we look to your word today, 
Reveal to us what you desire for us to learn, that we might come to know you more and grow in our love and our understanding of you, God, that we can understand your grace and mercy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's scripture passages, I'll right up front say they are from the CSB, that's the Christian Standard Bible. It'll be up on the screen, so if you do open your your Bible in front of you, that's the NIV, just a little bit different wording. But our passage comes from Romans 11 today, and Paul has been laying the groundwork of, of what's been going on. If you were to go through the whole book of Romans up to this point, it's explanation. And it's talking about this ongoing disagreement between the two peoples, Jews and the Gentiles, and this big disagreement they're having. So verse 32 reads, For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. Now break that scripture down. We see the disobedience. That word right away pops out. It's a big word. It's a strong word. And so what was the disobedience? Well, this disobedience points us back to the beginning of scripture, back to Genesis 3, where we see the fall of man into a world of sin. And sin was the prison that man walked into even, though, even without the thought of needing a key to get out. And initially, this prison looked really great. You could do whatever you wanted. You'd indulge in your deepest desires. You could be your own man. But it all comes at a cost, doesn't it? It's because, we're, because in that prison, we are separated from God. So as we read on, God went to work. God said, I, I don't want to be separated from you. I want so he went to work, and as we read, he selected men like Noah and David and Abraham, and he made covenants with them. And in those covenants, they were each a path forward to redemption that would ultimately save mankind from their sin and save them from the prison. God, he held up his end. He said, I will do, I will do this. But man would try and ultimately fail and fall. So then God made, one of God's promises was that he would send a Messiah, and that this Messiah would come to earth. And with him, he would bring salvation, and he would bring with him the keys to the prison to save mankind from himself and from sin. And we know that Christ's coming as a man to live a sinless life, that he would come, he would live that life, and he would die for the atonement for our sins, And we know this as the gospel. We talk about it every Sunday. That is the good news. And only God could have done this. No one else could have done this. God the Father sending his son. And so the Gentiles, they recognize Christ. They say, Christ is the Messiah. We know it. We we know people that saw him. We know this is fact. But the Jews, they disagreed. And this was the issue that Paul was dealing with in his letter to the Romans as we lead up to this verse 32. And as, as we read scripture, especially leading up to verse 32, we see that the word mercy is, is used several times. You've gotten to hear it several times today. If you couldn't pick up, there's a theme today. <laughs> it's mercy. And it's used throughout several times. And throughout scripture, we see mercy and grace. They're kind of buddies. You see them tied together often, and they describe God's actions towards mankind. And while grace and mercy are similar they are different. And in this specific usage, it actually really matters to see the difference. Now, when we hear the word grace, the phrase that's often said is getting what you, des- is getting what you don't deserve. And we can recognize this in our salvation 
that, that God saved us, and that was the grace that he had for us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We've heard that. We've heard that numerous times. Grace says that God did it all, and we can do nothing. But mercy, mercy is different. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We sinned. Humanity has sinned. And what is the price of sin? It is death. It is separation. But God had mercy. He had mercy on us, and he spared us the separation from him. And David puts it so well in Psalm 51. He cries out to God saying, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin. God does have mercy for us, church. He has mercy for us all. And his mercy is the thread throughout the scriptures and in our lives today that every day we live, we can live as redeemed people by his mercy. Now, for those of us married and and for those that have been in long-term relationships, we can all agree, I I apologize for any uh, wife punches that happened today, we can all agree that at some point, we have, we've, we've wronged our significant other. I think we can all agree that that, at some point, has happened. And for the wives, it may be that time that your husband forgot to take out the garbage, or he forgot to do the dishes, or he forgot that Valentine's Day is coming up. Sidebar, guys, Valentine's Day is coming up. The, those important dates. And then for the husbands, nothing. The wives have never done anything wrong. But my wife isn't here today, so I can air some dirty laundry. I'm just kidding. I won't, I won't do that. But men can look at the times where, where we've been wronged. And, and the thing is, I know this is a silly example to see a, a disagreement in marriage. But sadly, at times, the ones that we love, they can hurt us the most. And the familiar Christian phrase is, we must have grace for one another. I think we've all heard that or maybe had that said towards us. But I would make the case that we all have to have mercy as well. We need to have mercy for one another. Because being merciful towards each other is a reflection of God's love and character interwoven in our bones. Because of that, because of the mercy we learn from him, we can have an appreciation for his mercy for us. In Christ's sacrifice, we have mercy. We have received mercy from God the Father. And we are delivered from our sins. And looking at the idea of cause and effect, mercy, God's mercy, is the cause. In view of God's mercy, Paul answers the question, how are we to react then to God's mercy? In Romans 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, when worship is brought up in the modern church, I, I know if I were to say that right out of the gate, people think music. That's, that's where the mind goes. They hear worship. They put on Caleb. I heard the worship song today. That's, that's where our mind goes. And when we do this, when we put worship into just being about music. It's kind of like us going to an art gallery. 
If you're not an art gallery fan, just hang with me on this illustration. It's like you're going to see this painting. It's one of the original Monets, and you, you walk into the, the art gallery, and you see this painting, and you're looking at it, and you see all the textures, all the intricacies, all the little pieces, and it's like saying, I like the green. I like the green in that picture. The green is only a part, and like that, music is only a part of the whole that worship is. Worship is so much more than music. The word worship, it even comes from this old English word, worth-ship. No, I did not have a, it's worth-ship, and it means to give something worth. So when we read this passage, we are to worship God, offering our whole body, soul, and mind to him, all of it to him. And we do this as a response to the mercy and grace of God. That, that is worship. Mercy is the cause, and worship is the effect. So as we keep reading on in the scripture, how do we live life as a living sacrifice? That seems kind of counterintuitive. Like, what, what's this idea of being a living sacrifice? The two seem at odds, because living, to live, point, point mate. <laughs> but to sacrifice is to kill, it's to, to give up, to kill, to be alive, to kill. They don't seem to fit together. But when we read in the Old Testament, God commanded for animals to be sacrificed. We read this in Scripture, that animals were to be sacrificed for the atonement of the sins of the people. Then Christ came along, and in his sacrifice, his death, that was the final atonement for sins. So now we, like Christ, are to sacrifice our lives too, but not for sin. We don't have that power. Jesus already did it. Our sacrifice of our lives is not for sin, but it is for God's glory. This will be our true worship. And we can thank Paul as we read on that he gives us some direction on how we do this. How do we live our lives? He tells us to not be like the world by putting our mind and focus on God. God is wanting our whole being to live in worship of him. And we often try to separate the person into parts we think of as, you know, we think of the mind, the body, the soul. What we need to recognize is God wants the whole thing. He wants the whole being. He sees us as one piece, one whole. And Jesus said it best that we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind, all in one. This is how we are to worship God. So let's break that down. How do we worship with our minds, we worship God. Now, the things I listed earlier on, you know, watching the big games, all the other stuff, they aren't inherently bad. They aren't. And I will admit, I will be plopped down on the couch with the rest of you watching the game next week. I, I, I guarantee you, we'll all, a lot of us will be doing that. I will be doing it as well. So, no, that's not me pointing the finger at you. It's I'm doing it too. But what happens when this starts to become our daily ritual? The, I need to shut my mind off. It's been a hard day. I need to shut my mind off. We need, I need to give my mind a break. Whether it's watching sports or watching different shows on, on Netflix or listening to podcasts, etc. What are the things that we do to shut our minds off? Because when we do that, when we give in to the, th- the need to shut our minds off, we start to give over the steering wheel of the world's, and giving it to the world's values. 
We let it be the driver of our minds, like, oh, that was quite a thought, giving it to that. And when that starts to happen, it starts to steer us away from God. And church, we need to worship God with our minds. We need to put our focus on him. And we do that by reading his word. We get into it daily. We take our time speaking to him in prayer. And we listen to good, solid doctrine, whether it's preaching or, or it, you know, podcasts can be good too. There's, where are we getting those things from? We need to worship in our mind. And second, with our hearts, we worship God. And I know that if I were to say the phrase heart on their sleeve, we'd all, you know, again, wives might punch their husband on the, 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 the sleeve. But I will admit, I am a heart on my sleeve guy. Anyone that has gotten to know me in the last couple of years, that is my personality. I am an emotion-driven person, and, and I, I do tend to let my heart be the driver of my life. And it's a terrible driver. <laughs> I think most of us would admit, if our hearts were in charge of driving our lives, they're terrible drivers. And the thing is, the world is okay with us. They're okay with us living this idea that let the heart be the driver. Choosing to live life by emotions and feeling, choose what's best for you. And if we live like that, if we all started to just say, heart, do it. Somebody's going to get hurt and they're going to get run over. And we don't want that. We need to reign in our hearts, church. Know that, as always, the fingers firmly pointed back at myself. I know I need to. We need to reign in our hearts and devote it to God. We can develop our hearts to be working for his glory by following his example. Because God gave us hearts. He didn't give us a heart and say, well, that's bad. No, God made us and said it was good. He gave us a heart for good. And he gave us a heart to show others that there's more to us than just intellect, that we are heart-filled beings. And we're not just brains on a stick. There is emotion tied up with that crazy. We need to worship God with our hearts, from our hearts, in praise. But also, we need to show it in how we love others and love our fellow man by sacrificing for them. And finally, we worship with our souls. With our souls, we worship God. Now, blanket statement, everyone has a soul. If you didn't think you did, you do. We all have souls. And when we let the world tell us what our soul is supposed to do, it starts to put us at odds with what God wants for our soul. His desire is to see it flourish and grow. That as we connect and grow more, we grow more in knowing him and understanding his character. And our soul becomes strong, and it, and it can impact people around us. And we all know what it's like to be around someone with a beautiful soul. And that's, that's always a quality I think all of us would love for people to say, like, oh, that, that, Nate has such a beautiful soul. Please don't, that, not meant to be self-serving there. Think of someone else, not Nate. If you want to think of me, that's fine. But think of someone, and maybe it's somebody here at church, or maybe it's someone growing up. You remember, you know, there was a, a, a grandparent that was a, a beautiful soul. Or maybe you have a friend that you know when you're hurting, you're, they're the first person that you call because they have a beautiful soul. And those beautiful souls, we'll say it way too many times, they tend our souls. They are there for us in the hurting. They, they feel our pain. And as the Spirit works within us, we worship God with our souls by doing life with others and gathering in worship of our Heavenly Father. 
And I want to share a story about uh, a beautiful soul from my life. And, and this was someone that, um, the first church that I served in, um, so this woman named Joyce. And she was someone that, she just poured into me. She wasn't an older lady. She was, was a mom of one of my students. But she poured into me. Whenever she saw me, it was like Pastor Scott said a couple weeks ago. It's not, how are you doing, Nate? It's, how's your soul doing? How are you with God? That was her first question. And she poured into me. She prayed for me. She prayed for my future spouse. She was the first person I called to say, hey, I'm going on a date with this girl named Christine. Please pray for me. She was that beautiful soul in my life. And she did. Joyce had the most amazing soul while she was here on earth. The Lord took her home several years ago, and um, I had the honor of, of getting to, she asked, could Nate come? I'd love to say goodbye to him. And so before she passed, I remember visiting her home, and our thing, Joyce and I, our thing was I would always send her worship songs. Be, I heard a new song, and so I texted to her. And when she would have to go and get chemo, she would say, put together a playlist for me. And so she asked for that final playlist. And so as I'm, I'm, sit, I'm standing next to her bedside, and she's got her phone playing, this song comes on, and it's, it's this song called Praise Will Be My Song. And she, I can see her, she's just heard the song for the first time, and she's mouthing the words, Praise Will Be My Song, I Cannot Contain This Love. And she, sadly, she, as I said, she passed away a few days later. But when I look back at that moment, that's a, that's a moment that has stuck with me. Because I learned something new about worship and how I want to live my life. And God set me on fire that day and that I want to live a life for him. I don't, I don't want to play around anymore. I want to live a life like that. Our time on earth, surprise, it is going to end. And we only get to worship God as a living sacrifice on this side of heaven. We are dead men walking. So let's live a life for God because time on this earth is fleeting. In the book of Jeremiah, God is, is speaking through Jeremiah to Israel that Israel's forsaken me. And this is a cautionary tale to us all as we close. It, Jeremiah 2.13 reads this like this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Church, are we going to worship the things of this world and dig our own useless wells like the Israelites and choose condemnation? Or are we going to stop forsaking God and drink deep from his well of mercy and raise a praise of thanksgiving lifted up from our hearts? Because someday we will approach God's throne in heaven. And when we do, I hope that it is in worship and it's worship for all eternity. That we can look back and look at the meter of our hearts and say that it was overflowing with love for God. But for right now, church, let's worship him the only way that we can as living sacrifices.